The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. On member-supported Restoration Radio, I'm your host Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Chicada. Your Excellency, Father, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Season Five of Restoration Radio. Nice to be here. Here, here we are for another exciting season. <laughs> <laughs> um, on this episode, we are going to be discussing what's been happening since we were last on, which I suppose was. Uh, coming up on eight weeks ago at this point, Father Chicada and Your Excellency. As we know, Francis, he's a, he's been busy, um, didn't take uh, any time off, and uh, overwhelmed us as usual. I want to start with what was possibly the biggest talking point uh, of our break period, which was this video that was produced. And unfortunately, it's no longer available on the Internet, but I forwarded... Um, a mock version of this video to Your Excellency and Father, uh, in which we could say the true subtitles were revealed. Um, uh, uh, and I, I'm glad at least you both had a chance to watch this. Of course, no surprise it was done by someone from the R&R crowd who uh, have great respect for the Vicar of Jesus Christ on Earth and his teachings. But, um, Father, could you tell us a little bit about this video, and then Your Excellency, could you tell me, uh, you know, if you had a chance to watch it and what your reflections were? All right, well, um, the background uh, of it, I think, is kind of interesting. You might not be aware of this, and most of uh, our listeners who uh, don't fall into the old geezer category like myself uh, would not be able to uh, uh, tell you sort of the, the, the history of what was going on here. But when we were kids in grade school, Catholic grade school, we used to receive uh, every month a little leaflet of the Papal Apostleship of Prayer with the Pope's um, intentions for the month. And that was something that, uh, you know, we made part of uh, our little classroom prayers and everything, and Sister would announce them sometime, uh, etc., and so this was considered a, a really um, a wonderful little devotion. And uh, they would be available in the, in, uh, the back of the church. So this was the, the Apostleship of Prayer. If I'm not mistaken, originally it was um, something that the Jesuits worked on. Well, I had heard absolutely nothing about this after uh, Vatican II, Anymore, but the uh, first time I encountered it again actually was this film, this Francis film. 
which was supposed to be a the uh, the way now in the era of communications that uh, uh, the Vatican is going to announce the so-called Pope's intentions for the apostleship of prayer. So that's that's the the uh, the root or the origin of it. The uh, film itself, from a technical point of view, is uh, actually very nicely done. Uh, Obviously, the uh, Vatican is uh, uh, now very attentive to modern communications, and uh, they had a number of people who who were very, very skillful in putting this this film together with uh, the uh, uh, lighting and everything, making Francis look uh, less goofy. Uh, than he normally does, and kind of sympathetic, and you know, getting the beautiful close-up shots of the uh, pagan idols and the Muslim prayer beads uh, and the uh, Jewish uh, menorah that appeared in the film. So uh, the uh, that generally is the um, background that uh, I'd like to give to the film. But I thought that it's, it's, it's very interesting that uh, this is a substitute for what the real apostleship of prayer uh, was once. And I guess now you could call it, with this film, the apostasy of prayer. But that's another issue. (laughs) (laughs) They they should really have me on their branding team in the Vatican, you know, for for ideas like this. But uh, some of the ideas uh, that they actually come up with themselves uh, would be are wild beyond what any state of accountants could possibly dream of. <laughs> Your Excellency. <laughs> uh, yes, we're commenting the video. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the uh the just the, <laughs> that was quite an introduction. Well, uh, the yeah, it's the video is apostatical. Uh, you know, it's an apostasy. Uh an act of apostasy uh, by uh on the one hand uh equating all religions or you know in the person of or in the uh, using four religions. Uh but uh, you know, there could have been a 100 there. Uh, by uh, as if they were all equal, and you know he says that they're all searching for God in their own way, and uh, so they they each announce that, you know their God, and or their non-God in the case of Buddha, uh, and uh, and then they move on to uh, how they all believe in love, and I commented in my newsletter that this is the love that Pius X condemned as a monstrous error. <laughs> Uh, in, 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 yes, and he called it the charity without faith, uh, oh. because obviously there's, there's no Catholic faith here, uh, and and so it's a charity without faith that is just an abstraction of humanitarian love, and and that that is exactly what Saint Pius X condemned as a monstrous error, and uh, so. It, it is an apostasy to put the, all of the religions on the same plane. Uh, I also said in my newsletter that it was uh, Patrick Henry, Henry Umlor who pointed out that ecumenism is apostasy because it subjects every dogma to doubt and insignificance. It subjects every dogma of the Catholic Church, not a single one is accepted, to uh, negotiation, that, that it can be negotiated away or in some way watered down. So it strips of dogma its very dogmatic characteristics. So you have a dogma that is not dogmatic. 
it, it, to be dogmatic is to be absolute and unchanging and, and obligatory for all. So it, this is this was ecumenism in it in its most naked state, and uh, uh, it, it is an apostasy. It also conveys the idea that all of these people, in some way, worship the same God. And I point out that uh, you, you know there are three persons in in one God, and Allah is not one of them. Now, which one is Allah? He's not the Father. He's not the Son. He's not the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so you know somehow you know. So he's a false god. The Jews are worshiping a false god because they apostatized from the true God when they rejected Christ. And those the, that fact is very clear in sacred scripture. Our Lord says, uh, "You do not know the Father," and and in uh, uh, many other cases in sacred scripture. It says that the Jews do not know the Father. They apostatize from the Father when they apostatize from Christ. And so their God is not the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They they have created a, a different God. They have, just as you can carve a, a, a God out of stone and worship him, you can carve a, a God out of your own imagination and worship him, even if it's only one God. You, you can worship a false god that you have made up in your mind, and that's what they did. Uh, and, uh, and remember, uh, I also point out in the newsletter uh, that the menorah is the worst of all of these. You have the four hands, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Christ child, who is the true Messiah and true God, and ironically it, occur, it occurs around Epiphany, which is the celebration of his divinity. Uh, and then you have the menorah facing him, and then you have the prayer beads, the Muslim prayer beads facing uh, the other way, and then you have Buddha, a little statue of Buddha. The worst of those is the menorah, because the Pharisees said, and rightly, we have a law, uh, and rightly, if, if our Lord was not a true messiah, we have a law, and, and he, if, because he has made himself the Son of God, he must die. Now, if he made himself the Son of God falsely, then yes, he must die by the Mosaic Law. They were going on the premise, accusing him of being a false Son of God, a false Messiah, and therefore citing the Mosaic Law that he must die for that. So the menorah is a representation of the Jewish rejection of, the, of Christ as the Son of God, the true Messiah. And therefore, uh, uh, it is, it's, that menorah is calling for the death of the very Christ child that is being held by the so-called Catholic hand. That is the worst of all of them. Wow. Because, yeah, well, it's true. I mean, it is <laughs> yeah. true that Christ, if he was a false Messiah, claiming to be false as they say he's false, then, yes, it was right to say that he must die. And that is what convinced Pilate to put him to death. The, the first two arguments was that they, he was a rabble-rouser and they, they, or that he didn't want to pay taxes and all of this. And Pilate paid no attention to that. <clears throat> but when they came up with that argument, that theological argument, uh, citing the Mosaic Law, that, was, that is what moved Pilate to approve the death Wow. It, it's very, very significant, and and so you know to 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 bring Judaism right up to the Christ Child, 
this religion that, that is based on the rejection of Christ as the true Son of God, to put that right next to the Christ child is, is like aiming the, the very spear into his sacred heart. Boy, the, the um, uh, I'd actually never heard that before, Your Excellency, until you came up with it. And that really sort of puts a perspective on this business all the time that you see around Christmas, of around a, a crib scene outdoors putting up a menorah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that <laughs> that's uh, really shocking when you think of the symbolism of it. The, the other um, couple other points in terms of uh, what you said, Your Excellency. First of all, uh, I was not aware that it was Patrick Henry Omlor who uh, came up with that particular uh, notion of a, uh, apostasy and yes. ecumenism as, as apostasy. And uh, people who are of uh, subsequent generations of traditional Catholics uh, should um, know a little bit about Patrick Henry O'Moore. He was a uh, former seminarian, uh, and he had a very good uh, classic, classical Catholic education, uh, an American, and he was one of the uh, first traditionalists in the United States to sound the alarm uh, about the changes, even before the new Mass came. He um, wrote extensively on the errors of the modern church, on, on the uh, modern liturgy, the whole question of uh, for you or f- uh, for many in the form of the consecration of the Mass. So he, he, was, uh, uh, he had many very, very uh, excellent insights. Uh, and it's uh, very interesting to hear that that was one of them. Now, normally, though, the definition of apostasy, Your Excellency, if, uh, is the, a total rejection of all the elements of the Christian faith. And uh, normally that would come about when someone uh, says rather explicitly that I reject everything to do with, with Christianity. So could you explain that a little bit um, again so we get the idea of uh, exactly how the uh, uh, this this ecumenism falls into that category because people would say, well, you know, it's it, uh, what you're talking about is not really apostasy. Well, uh, yes, the you know, would you ask if you ask Bergoglio, do you call yourself a Christian? Of course, he would say yes, uh, but it, it I'm distinguishing it from heresy, which is to deny one or some of the doctrines of the faith. But to retain, actually, if you look at the history of heresies, most of the Catholic doctrines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, whereas the apostate com- overthrows completely the, the Catholic faith. Uh, that there's nothing left of his revolt against it. And in that sense, I think that the definition fits. I mean, sure, they uh-huh. might claim the Christian name, but you know, there's nothing left. Uh, at the at the end of the day, I mean, everything is called into doubt, and to doubt is a, is the equivalent of denying. The heresy is to de- doubt or deny a truth of the faith. So even if they call into doubt, and they are calling them into doubt because they they put them on the same level as heresies, as if they you know these are truths that have no effect in, in the practical order and, and and are the same as believing in a false god. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, 
you know, you know, despite the fact that these these apostates might be uh, still claiming the Christian name, I think the definition fits because mm-hmm. you know you open the box and there's nothing in it. I think this brings up a topic that uh, you and I have have discussed in our writings too that. Uh, when it comes to uh, error, when it comes to uh, heresy, denial, or doubt, uh, it is not simply a, uh, qu- a question of saying, uh, I deny that Christ is the Son of God. That is not the only heresy that you can have. If you, you change, what we're talking about is the sense, right? In other words, the, 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 the sense of the expressions. If you use expressions in such a way to deny or doubt the substance or the, 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 the sense of the teaching, then you are a heretic or an apostate, correct? Yes, of course. If, uh, the, Vatican, the First Vatican Council said that all of the doctrines have to be understood in exactly the same way in which they have always been understood and, and defined. And that you you just you can't change the the meaning of them while retaining the 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 verbiage, and that's what the modernist does. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, I think it was George Terrell that says, "Oh, I believe everything. You know, I, I all the Catholic dogmas I believe, but you have to redefine what you mean by believe." That was one of his quotes. Uh, you know, what do you mean by believe? And, and so they, the modernist ruse is to accept everything. I mean, the whole, every, all the council, every, but they put a new spin on it uh, that is different in meaning from what the church intends and always intends, uh, you know, the changeless dogma. So if you accept a dogma but put a, a different meaning upon it from what has always been held and taught, then you are a heretic. You have defected from the dogma. And my mm-hmm. point about apostasy, that ecumenism is an apostasy, is that this is done to every single dogma. There is absolutely nothing left uh, uh, because the principle can be applied, even if they don't get to it. <laughs> the principle can be applied that, that, these, that these are not obligatory, changeless, absolute uh, ideas and teachings that cannot be denied. Uh, they they are all mush. They're all t- turned into a soft clay that can be reformed as as time goes on. Remember that the modernist uh, sees the church as constantly evolving and constantly changing. So there is no fixed dogma, no fixed liturgy, no fixed morality. Uh, as we see, I mean, you know, 50 years ago, if Bergoglio had said these things, say in the late 1960s, people would have been dreadfully shocked. You know, some of the things that he mm-hmm. has come out with. Dreadfully shocked, but now you know it's wonderful. You know, I just love Pope Francis. You hear this all the time, you know. Yeah. And the reason they love him is because they have evolved with the fifty years of Vatican II, and they're ready for more evolution. I mean, they're ready for practically anything. You could, he could teach anything, and it'll be accepted. It'll just be a, a small peanut gallery of people like ourselves and the R&R people and Nova Sorto conservatives who grunt and, and whine. Uh, but, you know, the, the mass of, of, of people who call themselves Catholics go along with this apostasy. But in comparison to the mass of Catholics, or what we, people who call themselves Catholics, we are practically nothing. I mean, if you add up Novus Order Conservatives, SSPX, R&Rs, and State of Acantists, 
we are practically nothing in the opposition to this tidal wave of apostasy. You know, and, and that, that's that's just a you know a sad fact, and that's because uh, the the dogmas have been turned into mush by ecumenism. They've been turned into well, mush. You're absolutely, I somewhat hold Father Chikata responsible for this Bergoglio video because I think he's just been trying to catch up with all the videos Father Chikata's been posting lately. <laughs> and he thought to himself, you know, I better get on this stick and start posting my own videos or Father Chikata's going to dominate this. So I'll make more for that. Um, I also thought you were... Father Chikata's your... investing in a pair of designer sunglasses, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also thought, Your Excellency, uh, the significance of it being around Epiphany, those three items, was those were Bergoglio's gifts to our Lord. Instead of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, you could get a menorah, some beads, and a Buddha. You know, uh, he was yes. you know, putting his own new spin on Epiphany. Yes, and it's interesting to note that the Buddhists said, I have confidence in Buddha, because according to Wikipedia, that's a non-theistic religion. I mean, this is not some accusation from, uh, you know, a Dominican Thomist. You look up Buddhism on Wikipedia, and it says it's non-theistic. Mm. So they have no God. Non-theistic is the uh, politically correct word for atheistic, right? Atheistic, (laughs) there's no God. Yeah, they're atheists. So they can't say, I believe in God. (laughs) But I have confidence in Buddha. I mean, I, I was just rather offended that Kwanzaa wasn't represented there, uh, Your Excellency. I don't think. Uh, I think it was clearly a racist video, uh, and it wasn't embracing our our uh, darker skinned uh, brother sisters. I mean, you know, there's a deep theological problem with Judaism, and that is what characterizes them as different from Christianity is the rejection, a single thing, the rejection of the divinity and the messianic character of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the single block between us and the Jews, yet it is everything. See, And so to compare the Christ child to that menorah is so bad, because the menorah is, 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 says rejection, and not only rejection, but the death sentence according to the law of Moses. And they cannot deny that. It's in Deuteronomy. They cannot deny that. So they have to praise their ancestors, if they reject Christ, for having called for his death. But they cannot get around it. It's part of their law. Well, you know, well and, speak, and, speaking of Deuteronomy and, and meat products, I suppose I'd take our next item, which is the Bologna School of Interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love your transition, Stephen. <laughs> well, I've, got, I've got a high standard when I'm on an episode with you, Father. But um, what, uh, what can you tell well, us you about know, Bologna this, uh, comes over into English as baloney. I don't know. You know, that's usually the way we said it. I, I, I was going to ask, Father, is this is this a baloney school or a Bologna school? And could you help uh, uh, us poor benighted Americans understand the difference? Well, what what they're talking about is, well, first of all, it's an article by this Vaticanista, which is a Vatican reporter, Senator Magister, and um, what he is is, uh, talking about is that in the the city of uh, 
Bologna, or the University of, of, of Bologna, there is a um, theological faculty uh, that was um, very well known for uh, its uh, writings on the Second Vatican Council. And the, the people involved were uh, Father Dossetti and uh, especially a guy named uh, Alberigo or Alberigo? Alberigo. Sure. Alberigo. Al- Alberigo, okay. Typically the, the accent, name. The accents fool you sometimes in Italian. So uh, in any event, um, these people did decided that they would do a number of uh, uh, studies on the history of Vatican II, and they produced a three-volume history of uh, the Second Vatican Council, which was regarded as five. Is it five now? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Well, see, see yeah. uh, I think I only have three, but the, the, the idea was that they were going to analyze everything that went on at Vatican II, and it's actually it's, uh, quite a scholarly work, and their idea... Uh, their, their thesis basically was that the, the Second Vatican Council does represent a rupture like a new start. So the, the uh, people who, who follow theological matters and arguments in Europe are generally uh, familiar with this idea that if you talk about the Bologna School, this is sort of the rupture uh, interpretation of, of Vatican II as, as, uh, as a new start. And one one of the things under the Ratzinger um, uh, uh, Ratzinger's regime was that supposedly the Bologna school was out of favor because Ratzinger had this idea of the hermeneutic of continuity that you explain Vatican II as as uh, you know some sort of a, a continuation with uh, what went on before, and so the Bologna school was uh, out of favor. The problem is that no one really could come up with a convincing uh, interpretation uh, to show that there was a uh, there was a continuity, but they fell out of favor you know for a while at least uh, in ratzinger's book but now they've been uh, with uh, Francis they have come back uh, into their own and now they're getting uh, huge funding in uh, uh, euros etc. To keep their uh, to keep their project going, so they um, uh, talk about the. There's also a gentleman named Maloney who is involved with this, and uh, well, <laughs> wait, Maloney and Maloney. Uh, isn't there some sort of a is some sort of a dish like that? In any event, <laughs> he gets a um, uh, <laughs> he is uh, formed a commission, um, another study commission here, a ministry called Commission on Pluralism, Freedom, and the Study of Religion, Sciences in the School. So, uh, in any event, what happened is that uh, under Francis, these people have come back into favor, and they are going strong. And actually, what they say is not baloney. It's very true. Um, uh, Vatican II is rupture, and uh, what you say that is correct that the the uh, hermeneutic of continuity people cannot come up with a hermeneutic of continuity. I call it the unknown God. Uh, that there is this God that all of the Novus Ordo conservatives worship, which is their one key to continuity between pre- and post-Vatican II. 
it's like the missing link in evolution. The, they need that, that one string, that one link, in order to put post-Vatican II together with pre-Vatican II. But they don't know what it is. They cannot describe it. They cannot define it. But they all believe in it. It's there. It will come out one day, or something like that. You know, it's it's like a, it's like longing for the Messiah, or, or you know, it's a, but they don't even know what it is. At least, at least the Jews know who the Messiah would be. But the 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 this is a, an unknown God, and if if that collapses for them, then pre and post Vatican II separate in their minds as two different religions. And then they have a crisis of faith. So their whole virtue of faith rests on that unknown God, which is, which is the hermeneutic of continuity. And, and it doesn't exist, obviously. What does exist very much is the hermeneutic of rupture. Uh, and it's not a hermeneutic. I mean, it's not some interpretation. It's just reading the, the, the text of the Council, that's all. Uh, and what was meant when they were devised and what was said on the, the Council floor, et cetera. Uh, their 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 case, I mean, is the case is overwhelming. You just mm-hmm. have to page through their books, and uh, it, the 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 case that they make, uh, Alberigo uh, Alberigo and company, is is in fact overwhelming, and it was treated as a rupture and as a new start uh, at the time. You know that this yeah, was but, uh, uh, everything is wiped away. You know, and and we're this is new church, and we we have uh, the, this is a, a uh, uh, something that is an entirely new direction. This is what we were told all the time. This is how it was was uh, preached to us, uh, and uh, it um, uh, that uh, uh, certain things, many uh, things were old church. That's old church. You have to think new church now. And you think in the, the, the new, the updated way of, of Vatican II, and you, you have to get with it. Those musty old ideas are no good anymore. And that was the uh, universal sentence. That's all you heard. The modernists don't have a problem with lack of doctrinal continuity in the sense that they do not see dogmas as set in stone. Dogmas are things that evolve as human beings evolve. So there is a, continu- a different kind of continuity for them. If, if we are with humanity, if we are flowing down the same river at the same pace with humanity, there's your continuity. And sure, things could change, and, you know, and, uh, but, but change is life for them. I mean, you have to get into the modernist mind. Uh, whereas, the, you know, dogmas, like dogmas that, that I remember as a seminarian that are like stones falling from the sky. That yeah. was the, the, I don't know, did you get that, Father Chicada, that uh, allegory? Uh, yeah, 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 sure, you know, of that, course. That these, yeah. these are you heavy stones <laughs> that come down and hit your brain from the sky. That, that is the, the, the modernist idea of the Catholic notion of dogma. That is an unchanging uh, absolute continuity that the dogma never changes. And the Novus Ordo conservatives are very attached to that idea of Catholic dogma. And so they have, you know, they tremble in front of Vatican II. How do we explain all of this with that notion of Catholic dogma? And, you know, they're at a loss. Uh, It just isn't there. Uh, But, you know, you have to understand the modernist mind. 
that he doesn't care about continuity the way we care about it. Mm-hmm. A, a, a dogma, formulation of a dogma, that's just uh, something you know that we say at this time. It's like a political statement. For example, I read the other day that in something like 1909, a woman in New York was arrested by a policeman for smoking in public. <laughs> Not that far, in fact. All right. but, and that's the way they would see it. Well, you know, these were things that were done in, in the 14th century or said, you know, that was their experience. And we have a different experience now. Things change, and it's perfectly okay for women to smoke in public, and also it's okay for divorced and remarried to receive communion. It's not a problem for us. And and so uh, dogma is is attached to life and humanity for the for the modernists, but it is not for the Catholic. And the Novus Ordo Conservative, uh, you know, I'd say in most cases is is trying like crazy to hold on to his Catholic faith, the virtue of faith, which necessarily is attached to those unchanging dogmas, and and he he's going through a, a tragic agony. Those people. That every day they go through an agony as they watch piece by piece the the ancient Catholic faith fall apart in the structures that they are in. Well, if you'll forgive me, Your Excellency, I'm going to throw into discontinuity uh, forward here with uh, God is Father and Mother. This was something that came up in an interview, and Rorate posted it. Uh, and you can find it on uh, Rorate's site, and they linked to Vatican website from December the second. The questioner. Now says, you might want to note, Stephen, that that in the outline, uh, this comes under the heading of doctrinal looniness, um, <laughs> and we get an increasing number of uh, things in this category whenever Francis opens his mouth. This is, this is the baloney school of theology. Yeah, baloney. This is true. And this is the challenge uh, for our listeners. Father Chicada has a very detailed uh, show plan, as always outlined and paired before we we get on the air. And there's just not enough time to cover all of the all of the uh, sort of uh, little shop of horrors that uh, we have to deal with. So we are moving on to the next uh, segment, which is Doctor Looniness, as as Father talked about, and the. The interviewer says, according to the Bible, the place where God's mercy dwells is the womb, the maternal insides of God, which are moved to the point of forgiving sin. Can the jubilee of mercy be an occasion to rediscover God's maternity? Is there also a feminine aspect of the church to appreciate? Francis answers, yes. He himself affirms it when he says in Isaiah that perhaps a mother can forget her child, A mother can also forget her child. I, instead, will never forget you. Here, God's maternal dimension is seen. Not everyone understands when there is talk of God's maternity. It's not a popular language in the good sense of the word. It seems a language that is somewhat chosen. I prefer to use the word tenderness. According to a mother, the tenderness of God, tenderness born from the paternal insides. God is her and mother. Can you comment on this tenderness uh, of God, this maternal side of God? Because, as, as we know, everybody thinks tenderness when they think this is Sanborn. Yes, of course. <laughs> the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, well, uh, I think Isaiah does 
do an analogy. I think it would be legitimate to say that there's an analogy between God's mercy and kindness and love and the love of a mother for a child. Uh, there are many, many analogies and images in sacred scripture. And, uh, but to go from there to say, well, you know, God is, is as uh, merciful as a mother or as, as kind or as tender as a mother, to go from there to say that God is mother is <laughs> crossing a, a heretical bridge. Um, the, for example, you would have to say, even by sacred theology, that there could be nothing good in a mother that is not first in God. The tenderness and love and all of the things that we associate with mothers, their, their devotion to their children, has to be in God first. It cannot be there unless it's in God first. That, that's uh, so. And you know, of course, everything that we say about the Blessed Virgin Mary, it, it, anything in her that is right and true and good, which is which is the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, it, it comes from God. So you know, that's legitimate to say that 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 He has the perfections uh, that that we admire in a mother. That those things must be in Him. But that doesn't mean that he gets the name of mother, or that maternity can be applied to him in any way. Uh, that it just is to deny his nature. I mean, it's it's again an apostasy uh, because to to deny the nature of God just as to deny the divinity of Christ is considered apostasy. Uh, so the um, uh, you know, but. <laughs> So that's the, you know, he has crossed the bridge that that he cannot cross, but he, there's two things. First of all, he has no care of dogma. He has no, absolutely none. Secondly, he, he doesn't, he's not very well educated, and he's not very smart. So he would not be able to make the distinctions that I made, which don't require either much education or brains, The what I just said. But, you know, he is uh, missing even the minimum on those things, so that he says these, uh, I mean, the most charitable way you could approach it is that he says these things out of an ignorance and a recklessness, uh, because he doesn't understand the proper distinctions to make. Uh, The worst is that he wants to uh, transgenderize or bigenderize God, which I would suspect more because of his, you know, general reputation. Yeah, I would I would uh, agree with that. And, you know, you look at something like this and you say, well, what's the motivation uh, for it? I mean, uh, uh, for him to make such a statement, and obviously that is the uh, that's the motivation in his his little pea brain that uh, he, he is going to use this this uh, uh, analogy and um, uh, throw another bone to uh, to the the uh, uh, feminists and to the the women church people. And this is his uh, his way of doing it. So it's 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 wrong on the theological level, but he's not. Again, he's not particularly interested in that. No, he doesn't care. I mean, that's an open door to a woman's priesthood. If God is a mother, uh, well, bless me, mother. You know, for I've said, yeah, well, sure. they don't do well, confession yeah. anymore. But you know, uh, you know, it, 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 the whole idea of the male priesthood is because. God the Father obviously is not male in the in the sense of 
you know, a human being, but he is male in the sense that he truly has paternity. And as St. Paul says, all paternity is named for him. And secondly, God the Son has no femininity in him, obviously. Uh, so, uh, therefore, the priesthood has to be male. Uh, but if you open up that door to say, well, that's, uh, you know, that God is a, is a mother, well, that, that, that again opens the door to... Uh, to the feminine priesthood, it also, in a way, puts aside the Blessed Virgin Mary. The reason why the Blessed Virgin Mary is so exalted by God is that precisely he wants to give us a mother of heaven. See, that, that, that is in order to make the path of salvation easier. Uh, the, the church, the priests, the saints, everything that, that goes on in the church and everything the church possesses is to make the path of salvation easier. And so the sinner can very easily approach uh, the mother of heaven, and perhaps more easily than he can approach God the Father or, or even Christ. You know, uh, the, the, that path, your mother, you can always approach your mother, you can always go back to your mother. And so that it sort of puts her in a, in a very secondary role. I mean, you know, if you say, well, God is mother... Uh, why did he extol her so much, and why did he involve her so much in the salvation of human beings? You know, if she's just some sort of, you know, honorary person. I think those points are well taken, Your Excellency. Um, as, I, as I said earlier, we have so many items on the agenda. Got to move us on to our next segment, which is mm-hmm. lefty politics, and. I saw uh, excerpts of this. There was a uh, laser show, uh, not quite a laser show, but a projection show onto the front thought of uh, St. Peter's Basilica about climate change. And it showed uh, lots of animals, uh, endangered animals. And I'm not quite certain what endangered animals have to do with St. Peter's. Were you were you clear on that, Father Chetta? Uh, I don't know. Maybe since he was a fisherman, he endangered the fish. Perhaps that, that was so. I, I, I don't know if the fish merited uh, anything there. You know, save save the cod, something like that. Uh, I mean, if they wanted to do some real endangered animals, I thought they could have put a projection of you or Bishop Stanmore up there. Uh, you know, real the clergy. I mean, that's a pretty. Good idea. Well, the, uh, uh, it's uh, it's going beyond parody. This nonsense. He is the 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 lefty agenda uh, that uh, the lefty political agenda that he has uh, uh, embraced and allowed to be uh, that he has promoted himself and that he is allowed to be promoted in his name. It's uh, venturing into absurdity. The idea that um, Saint Peter's Basilica. Uh, should be a, a facade for this, the, uh, uh, for the promotion of this new uh, religion of environmentalism, is it makes your jaw drop, uh, and th- that the the fact makes your jaw drop, uh, your your jaw drop, and then uh, the idea that for most people there's no most people who claim to be Catholics there's no reaction to this, that this is crazy, or that uh, what's going on here, and it's again because of what Bishop Sanborn said, they accept anything because dogma is uh, turned into mush. So uh, people 
your your average self-identified Catholic in the pew looks at something like this and figures that well this is a part of uh, uh, the new truths uh, this is blessed by popular culture we have to go along to get along so uh, you know saving the crows is is probably a, a, a really good idea and we're glad that you know our beloved Holy Father is is on board for this because uh, this we're comfortable with this in our uh, suburban religion uh, by accepting all of this so the uh, idea that, that there's there's no reaction to something as insane as this is uh, as I say it really makes your jaw drop but that's Vatican II for you uh, and for 50 years they have been uh, promoting a humanity religion uh, and by that I mean the climate change and you know uh, an earth religion uh, it, you know, ever since Paul VI, uh, John Paul II, all of those people have, you know, when they make their Easter message and their Christmas message, it's always about some sort of worldly thing. I mean, you never get you never get a, a sermon on, on the divinity of Christ or, or the you know the the reality of the resurrection of Christ. Nothing. It's always you know calling for peace you know where people are have they're they're just strangling each other someplace and the and the, supposedly the pope calls for peace as if they're going to listen to him you know some muslims who are shooting at each other <laughs> are going to listen to the pope yeah. <laughs> you know as he calls for peace so we have to have peace in the world you know it, it's kind of absurd and silly uh you know but they that's their religion they don't believe in catholic dogma they believe in humanity it's Gaudium et Spes, the document of Vatican II, enlisting the Catholic Church in the progress of humanity in perfecting itself. That, that's the, the whole spirit of that document, uh, that, that the Church, be, you know, uh, the UN is the last hope, as, as Paul VI called it, and, and humanity is perfecting itself in a universal quest of democracy and and freedom and all of these things, and that the the church is in is helping humanity to perfect itself. This is their religion. Uh, it, it is it is it is totally devoid of Christianity. <laughs> this is. This is Essentially, uh, it's something inspired by socialism, and you know he's a prince of the socialists and communists. Um, it's it's to the idea of, of uplifting humanity economically, socially, um, religiously, in the sense that there's no conflict over religion. Uh, that that the world can be a wonderful place if we just fix all these problems. And so the the climate change becomes a um, uh, you know a, a wonderful example of that that this is a global problem we're all involved in it and the poor people in Africa are going are going to be the worst off the worst off and the animals the poor animals are going to suffer and and we have to do something about this we're we're all guilty as sin in global warming and and you know it, it's a perfect vehicle for all of that stuff. Um, yeah, and the, the, the other thing that uh, I would um, uh, fix on a little bit is you mentioned we're all guilty, and this is collective sin. Well, this is the, the typical sort of um, uh, thing that you get from modernists, that there's collective sin for something like this, but basically there's no individual sin. 
Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're big on we are all guilty about this, that, or the other thing. You know, we're all guilty of racism or not liking immigrants or being unkind mm-hmm. to animals or mm-hmm. we're all guilty of, of, of climate change. Uh, these are secular values, but when it comes to the Ten Commandments, well, that's, you know, negotiable and has to be understood right. in a different way. A lot of mercy so perfect, has to be used. <laughs> yeah, so it's a perfect, this is like a perfect... Um, uh, sort of a perfect thing to do. You know, does yeah. the year of mercy and forgiveness, uh, let's say, uh, apply to using uh, carbon-based fuels? You know, is, <laughs> right. is, is that, that, that particular collective sin? You know, when we, uh, you know, have the uh, parish barbecue here, and we're, uh, <laughs> I mean... Uh, are, 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 are we or whatever you put on those skulls? Oh, they it's awful. Thin. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, and uh, do we uh, have to go through the local holy door down at the cathedral <laughs> to get um, uh, forgiveness for um, using these, these awful accelerants? So it's, it's uh, again, it's typical. We've heard junk like this for 50 years. 50 uh, years. And, I, when I saw that... Uh, that those pictures on on the basilica, I thought, I wonder what Pietro da Cortona thought would would think. He he was the one that designed that facade. Very famous artist, and he did a number of other churches in Rome. And uh, the uh, that that would be used for such a sacrilegious thing as showing animals on it. I mean, the people that built and designed that thing. And the and the the clergy that have inhabited it, if they could have seen that, St. Pius X or or, other, or others who who knew that facade, uh, what they would have said, uh, it, it's just uh, it, it was a horrible, heinous sacrilege to use it for such a thing. Yes. But a, a sign of the times. Yep. Well, no wonder uh, under lefty politics, although this could come under looniness too, that he is the PETA person of the year, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, oh, uh, that, that he, he got the award for that, which is, is uh, you know, uh, I think just wonderful. You know, I, I, well, I wonder what form it takes. Father, I should confess, I'm a member of the other PETA, which is the people eating tasty animals. Uh, so, I <laughs> not all not all pitas are the same. Uh, but pita person of the year, I suppose, not not something. Uh, you mentioned the doors there. I I I, uh, I didn't know if they'd made their appearance in Cincinnati. I was rather horrified to be inside some of these large churches here in Paris, and they have these enormous doors. They even had one over at the uh, Chapel of the Miraculous Medal, a little small one. But I, mm-hmm. I I wasn't quite sure what was accomplished. You you, you walk through the door of mercy, and I think everything's awesome. Then you're okay. It's even, it's even faster than Novus Ordo Confession. You don't talk to anybody. You just walk through the door of mercy, uh, and just seeing this sort of door inside this magnificent but, old you know hundreds of year old you know these churches, basilicas, and I'm thinking, what is doing here? Certain sins though sense. it won't do, <laughs> such as barbecues. That's a sin that cries to heaven for vengeance in, yeah. in the new, new way. All right. So, uh, or, or, or you know, uh, the uh, or being a traditionalist, or believing in dogmas, or you know, being one of those Pharisees. 
it won't cure you. It won't. It just won't work. You could go through it a thousand times, and, and nothing's going to work. So just to let you know, you know. Yes, that's it. And, and I, th- I think once more on the the animal and environmentalism, that we could probably uh, sum up this discussion of of Francis and environmentalism and animalism with the line that well he may not be Peter but we could say thou art Peter right. <laughs> irresistible sorry on to our next segment which is divorce and remarriage um, it's been noted that the post-synodal exhortation has already been written but it hasn't appeared and one can only think this is because of the theology of surprises, we're just going to be surprised with this exhortation at some point if it's already ready. Uh, Father, can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, what you know about why it's been held up, or at least why you think it might have been held up? Well, I think I think they had to be first of all they had to be very careful what uh, they say to not uh, not to let the cat out of the bag uh, too much. They can't say too much or too little. If they say uh, too much in the way of a uh, radical change and allowing radical change, then they're going to get some blowback, uh, some some uh, reaction from a couple of the conservatives. Cardinal uh, Burke is going to grumble and tell people to remain faithful and. Aganosco, who I think was in the conservative side, he's already gotten bagged already by Bergoglio, but he might say something. So uh, they have to be uh, careful to allow, uh, not to say too much, but they want to, uh, on the other hand, say enough so uh, in the practical order they can uh, effect some change. So they they have to have to do a, a balancing act here, and uh, they have to pay uh, uh, court to the old doctrine on the indissolubility of marriage. But they still have to allow the sacraments for those who are going to be divorced and um, uh, uh, remarried, because people were expecting obviously some sort of a change like that from the uh, uh, from the synod. So they. The, the, in, uh, in drafting the document, they have to be careful. Now, it, it's possible also that it's being held back, uh, as you say, because of the theology of surprises for for doing it on uh, you know exactly the uh, right moment, the right strategic moment during the year of mercy. But the Rorate uh, article. Uh, which was written by a, a priest who apparently has is uh, well connected, said that it, in fact the uh, exhortation has been ready uh, since September, and, and in fact the the the, the lines about uh, lines of it were laid out uh, before uh, before the synod. So uh, in effect, the synod and all the going back and forth was was a bit of a show because Bergoglio basically had in mind what he was going to do. And remember, he is the one that, no matter what the Senate says, even under their own legislation, uh, his words on it are the only really, strictly speaking, binding uh, words in the Novus Ordo. So uh, with that said, it's something that we just will have to um, uh, await probably for the next Francis Watch. It could be true that there is some... 
intestine opposition and fighting about it. Mueller might be objecting to it, or you know, there, there might be some something that they have to deal with, and uh, you never know. But I mean, it's all speculation. But uh, I think that I don't know. I mean, maybe we're passing on to something else. But you saw that um, Burke. Uh, said, oh, it's against sacred scripture, it's a significant departure from Catholic doctrine, uh, but what should people do if it happens, you know, that divorced or remarried can receive Holy Communion? Well, they should just reject the doctrine, and but still be faithful. So he, he's putting up the R&R flag. Uh, that, uh, and you shouldn't leave the Church because some people deny the faith. That's what he said. Uh, and, you know, it's not a direct quote, but the, that, that was the idea, is that, you, sh- in other words, don't become a sativacantist, but become an R&R, uh, recognize and resist. So, you know, if that's all that the opposition can come up with, well, then let it rip. <laughs> if, if you're going to say, well, we'll, we'll just be, we'll, we'll be naysayers, but we're going along with the whole program, uh, and, you know, we're, we're going to be loyal, uh, then, you know, let it rip. The thing that obviously he should have said after he made all the logic and uh, of that it's a departure from Catholic faith would be that if he promulgates this, he will no longer be the Pope. That's what would have been logical to say, even assuming that he is the Pope now. The, the, uh, but he didn't do that. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it just shows the failure that this is the best thing that they have. This is the, the very best prelate that they have from the point of view of, of the Catholic faith. And this is all that he can come up with, instead of the, drawing the obvious conclusion of who is outside the Church. Uh, people should not leave the Church, he says, just because there's, you know, it's abandoning its doctrine. <laughs> Right. Well, and I, I think he realizes that, Your Excellency. He's heading towards that cliff, and he does this sharp U-turn. For those of you who want to look at the quote that His Excellency is talking about, it's on the CatholicHerald.co.uk. It's a, an article from the 3rd of December. Um, and and he, he's heading towards this cliff you're talking about, Your Excellency. And he says um, he was not – the Cardinal said he was not an enemy of the Pope and never will be, unquote, explaining – you won't find a single statement of mine in which I am speaking against the Holy Father. I just don't do that. Except everything I just said up there. Um, he suggested that the Pope's liking for language that was unusual, colloquial, and catchy. Uh, and then again, he goes into, this is not the Holy Father's intention. Well, how do you know? Right? right. Who are you and to judge? why are his words different from his intention? <laughs> Right. Isn't that to speak with forked tongue? Isn't that something like that? You know, <laughs> you know. But again, it's absurdity. I mean, you're just the 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 one hope of of some sort of stand against this has collapsed, and he's going to go along to get along, and just grumble essentially, as I said at the beginning of this show, and whine, and oh, this is not good, and. And it destroys the unity of faith of the Catholic Church. I mean, in a very poignant way, it has already, and the modernists have already destroyed it, but the, I mean, you know, in their own, the, the, if you accept modernism as Catholicism, which we don't, but the, the, I mean, they've already done it, but this is so blatant that, and so, so 
openly against sacred scripture, as he rightly says, that it will point out a, a, a rupture in, in, the, in the most uh, you know, clear terms, and yet they are incapable of drawing their conclusions from it. Incapable. Uh, don't forget, um, these people are in red robes because they're career men and they've been uh, buttering up, let's say, the, the right people at the right times all during their careers. So they're, they're pretty much, you know, finished as far as having any backbone. Uh, the other thing is, as you were speaking, Your Excellency, I, I thought it would be interesting to look up uh, Colonel Burke's background on the Internet. He's only three years older than we are, and he mm-hmm. has a... Um, uh, his uh, curriculum vitae is obviously he was raised, you know, with the, the Vatican II uh, uh, background. He did minor seminary in uh, Wisconsin. He studied at Catholic U uh, from 68 to 71, and that, of course, was a circus, a modernist circus. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, he uh, gets a bachelor's degree from that, and he goes to the Gregorian, and that was not exactly known during the, those years, 71 to 75, as like a bastion of orthodoxy. It was corrupt in the 1950s. Oh, interesting. So the thing is that, that what you have here is someone who is, uh, Cardinal Burke, is formed essentially in the new system. And, uh, you know, some of it, I think, is going to affect you. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that it, it, uh, in terms of turning your, your, your brain to mush, because if you've had to deal with this and you've never really stood up against it, um, and as you say, you've been a, a, a career man all the time, it's uh, very difficult to go against that uh, that grain. You're not going to turn into an iron bishop, as it were, even though you should. And if he was born in 1946-47, mm-hmm. he is old enough to remember that divorce and remarriage is against Catholic faith and that giving Holy Communion to those people would be a sacrilege. Yeah. I mean, what you learn in your youth gets really burned into your brain. <laughs> And so he knows as well as we do. But just as all of us uh, had to make a decision at a certain point, uh, especially in the late 60s, how to deal with this Vatican II thing, uh, so he did. And he made the choice that, well, I'm going to accept it, uh, you know, and I might be not too happy with it, but I'm going to accept it and I'll be a conservative in this thing. I mean, Father Chicada and I could both attest to many seminarians who made that choice. And they have ended up in certain cases as bishops uh, and, you know, important places. And they, they have made their peace with the Novus Ordo. I mean, and many of them have given up even their conservatism. Uh, you, you can't, you know, say, you can't stand in front of the, of the tsunami and say, well, I'm going to survive this. <laughs> You know, it's, it's going to come in with great force, and you will be knocked down by it. Uh, but uh, I'm sure Father Chicada would agree that we knew seminarians who struggled with Vatican II, but made that decision. Well, I'm sticking with it, and I'll make the best of it. Uh, and oh, oh, yeah. he, is, he is one of them. And yes, I mean, they, they're completely broken down in their minds, because they're making the best of it. Whatever it is, you know, if he denies the divinity of Christ, well, we'll make the best of it, you know. <laughs> I can only think of, of 
uh, as you're saying that, I was going through my uh, a sort of mental database, such as it still exists, uh, <laughs> whatever's left of it, <laughs> uh, trying trying to think of uh, the different people who were in our conservative, the conservative uh, clique in the seminary where I was, and the ones who made it, all, all the ones who made it to ordination, with one exception. Uh, it turned out to be uh, completely gave in to the new system. Did not even end up as conservatives. These guys ended up as you know they were walking around in in uh, 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 golf shirts, and they're just fine with the women in ministry stuff now. And the divorce and remarriage. Oh, you know I've been doing that for ages, uh, mm-hmm. telling people it's okay to go to communion. I can only think of one guy who ended up somewhat conservative, and um, you could tell that because uh, when he was in the diocesan paper, he would be doing, uh, he'd be wearing sort of a lace surplice and and, uh, doing perpetual adoration, something like that. Uh, But, I mean, uh, of all of them, that, uh, you know, uh, I can only think of one. Well, I don't know. I I knew a lot. Uh, I mean, a lot. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. quite a few, uh, and uh, they, a lot of them were struggling with Vatican II. Mm-hmm. But I saw the course that they took, uh, and 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 now I see where they are. And uh, sure enough, uh, they have become Vatican tours. You know, yeah, of they course, have yeah. some sort of nostalgia for what was. But that's that's you know they they have absorbed the whole thing. Yeah. So Parker is one of those people. It's uh, they just uh, unfortunately they just become part of it, you know. They just mm-hmm. become part of that system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't think com- there's much to fear on his part of if he puts out that you know the divorced and remarried can receive communion and all. <laughs> I really don't think there's much to fear. It's just going to be a, a, you know, the, the usual grumbling on some parts, and but they'll get over it and they'll just move on. And well, that's too bad. And you know it's. You know, be all that stuff. Yeah. We're a reminder of listeners that you're listening to Francis Watch on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm Stephen Heiner, and I've been joined today by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. We've been discussing uh, the the video that was put out uh, around the Epiphany by Francis, the the Bologna School of Interpretation, or Bologna, however you choose to pronounce it. We've been talking about the the alleged maternity of God. Uh, We've been talking about uh, St. Peter's Basilica as a new projection movie screen. Uh, We've also been talking about the the limp response from people like Burke to the what will eventually be the post-synodal exhortation. And Father uh, Takata wanted to remind us that uh, Francis can now be referred to as Thou Art Pita. Uh, in relation to his award that he received as PETA Person of the Year. Uh, people might know what PETA is. You see, they know. I didn't know what PETA was, so you might want to explain that. <laughs> people right. for the yeah. ethical treatment of animals. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. if you, you want I to think look we that would up. recognize him as that. I mean, we won't say Peter, but we would say PETA. No. no. Yeah, uh, definitely. Two two S PETA. I think that would work. <laughs> Um, the next segment we're going to talk about uh, today is the Lutheran anniversary that's, that's coming up. Um, and 
as I say almost always when I'm on this episode, sometimes I have to stop myself in, in the middle of reading some of these news items because I, I really can't believe it. In particular, as I was getting ready for today's episode, I was looking at one video, uh, video, sorry, a picture that was posted. This was, uh, if you go to Novus Ordo Watch, uh, so obviously one of our sponsors, and we'll tell you a little bit more about them at the end of today's episode. But uh, there's a picture, uh, the title of the article is Finnish, Finnish Lutherans Given Quote-Unquote Whole Communion at, at Vatican. And the TV Lutherans in their traditional costume, at least they, they're wearing the traditional dress, uh, but behind them is the the chair of St. Peter, and at least I don't know Novus Ordo octave or lack thereof, but the, the first dated the 19th, which is during the chair of unity octave for us uh, in, in the Catholic Church, and this idea of these fish Lutherans during the chair of unity octave with the chair of St. Peter behind them, inside St. Peter's Basilica, receiving communion, uh, and when they had indicated... Uh, by using a certain gesture, they were supposed to put their their arms in a, a certain position. Um, they still uh, were given communion. Um, I don't know if you have a chance to see this story, Your Excellency or, or Father, but realistically, again, I keep saying you can't make it up. It's not believable, but it still doesn't seem to... Um, I still continue to be surprised by this guy. I mean, the theology of surprise really works on me. I will it's say, in Vatican II. Constantly surprised. Intercommunion is in Vatican II. It's in the Decree on Ecumenism, and it's in the 1983 Code of Canon Law. So, uh, you know, these occasional times, and, you know, for a serious reason, and this and that, and whatnot, and so forth, you can do this. Uh, and so, there's, as I always say, there's nothing in Bergoglio which you cannot find first in Vatican II. And and uh, so, you know, they're just doing that. And don't forget their theology. They don't believe in, in a uh, that the Catholic Church is the one true Church outside of which there is no salvation, and that the Holy Eucharist is the symbol of the unity of this Roman Catholic Church outside of which there is no salvation. They don't believe that. Why are you shocked? <laughs> the, you know, that um, these are, they believe that these are ecclesial communities that are in partial communion, and, and you know, it's all one big happy family, so why shouldn't they get a Eucharistic hospitality, as it is called? Mm. I think the, the, the point to be made in the, the face of, of uh, something like this is precisely what you said first of all your excellency that the all of the, the the seeds for this all of the principles are found in Vatican II and uh, in the, the new code of canon law so uh, the uh, these things have been sown as it were and in fact we even saw Ratzinger give the communion to the uh, uh, Roger Schutz who is the head of of the mm-hmm. uh, Taizé uh, Calvinist community, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think at, at the uh, funeral for JP, JP too. So um, uh, the again, it points out that the fact is the the problem is not Bergoglio, but the problem is Vatican II. It, he is uh, 
more in your face when it comes to applying these these different principles. And uh, you know, you see him high fiving the uh, uh, American evangelicals and uh, doing the the embraces with the, the Jews, etc. But uh, all of that is contained in, in scene in Vatican II. And it's we always say it is not a. Uh, Bergoglio problem, but it's the Vatican II problem. Until people like Cardinal Burke and company uh, realize that that it is a Vatican II problem, they're going to get more and more of this. Nevertheless, I mean, you're right, Stephen. Looking at that picture, uh, your draw, your your jaw once again wants to drop. So, I mean, uh, one might also observe they're probably the most modestly dressed people in St. Peter's. They're certainly more <laughs> modestly dressed than probably than the best behaved too. Right. Well, that's be- that's because I don't think that JP 2s theology of the body has been translated into the Finnish yet. <laughs> I think that that we would see some we would see some progress in evolution there. So, even though the weather is awful cold. Well, uh, you have to understand that the 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 problem in giving Holy Communion to a non-Catholic is that the that the Holy Eucharist is, as Saint Thomas Aquinas points out, the symbol of the unity of the Catholic Church. So a non-Catholic's receiving of the Catholic Holy Eucharist is a serious and very sacrilegious breach of that principle. But if you take away that principle. You, you know, you're, you're, the Holy Communion is not a problem for those people. And so, you know, you're looking at the decree on ecumenism here, that there is a, a connection between the Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church because they're both Church of Christ, you know, which has different spheres of belonging to it, as JP2 says. And, you know, there is the, the classic teaching of the Church that, they, that, that there is a single institutional Church the Roman Catholic Church, which is the single Christian church on the face of the earth, and that the Holy Eucharist is the symbol of its unity, all of its unities, uh, unity of worship and government and, and doctrine, that the Holy Eucharist is a symbol of that unity, and its unicity, that is, that it is the single Christian church, it is all of those things. If you abandon that doctrine, then the Holy Eucharist could be given to a Buddhist, it has none of that aspect of it. It has no aspect of, of being that that you know that that sign of unity. Uh, and so again, you're 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 living in a, a, in a dinosaur world. <laughs> if you're shocked by that, <laughs> you know, this is the Jurassic world or something uh, that you're living in. Uh, and and uh, you, you know you have to in order to. Uh, uh, understand them, you have to get into their brains and, and realize that the, these are apostatical souls that are doing this. Uh, to, to build on that a little bit, Your Excellency, we, the, the, uh, their church, their heresy on the nature of the church is something that we refer to as a Franken-Church heresy, because it's all of these different parts that sort of were put together by Ratzinger, who was doctor of Franken-Church, and who uh, 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 sort of hit these, uh, allowed this this uh, new creature to be hit with the bolts of ecumenism, if we want to, uh, you know, use, the, uh, use a, a, an analogy from 30s horror movies. But the idea is, is uh, they do not, the, the modernists do not say, oh, we deny 
um, that the church is one. They don't say that, oh, we deny that article of the creed. What they do is, uh, it's what we were talking about earlier, that they have a different sense of it. That, that the, the, yeah, the church is one, but we define one as being all part of, of, of these, uh, as uh, pertaining to these, these different bodies. So what you get is you get a sign, as it were, again, of the uh, apostasy, uh, that they understand the unity of the church in a uh, different sense. So they can profess Credo Nunum Ecclesia, but uh, as, as far as the understanding of it, it's completely different. So it's 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 fine for the Finnish uh, Lutherans then to uh, be part of this this unity of the church. No, and I I agree, Father. And obviously, I think His Excellency's point is well taken. You know, why would we be upset at the Finns receiving communion when the divorced and remarried can? So we don't even have restrictions on Catholics receiving communion. Mm-hmm. Remember, there's no more sin, there's no more confession. So why would we forbid? Uh, why would we forbid Protestants? We certainly don't forbid Catholics. There's, there's no real condition to receive communion. Communion is simply a symbol of togetherness. It's, it's what you get to take home with you. It's your feel-good message at the end of the service. But it doesn't really mm-hmm. mean anything to, to the novice bow. Um, well, they don't yeah, believe in yeah. transubstantiation. It's just a wafer for them. Right. And it's a wafer with a meaning. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. The, the, in fact, that is, is what I was taught by uh, some of my uh, professors at the seminary in Milwaukee, that the idea that it's actually somehow the body of Christ, well, you know, that was the former idea, uh, you know, which was good in its time at the Council of Trent. But now we have a different understanding. That understanding is that the signification or the meaning of, of that little piece of bread changes, so it means something different uh, for us now. And that's fine, too, because dogma uh, evolves. Bergoglio said, I think, about two months ago that the trans, uh, that uh, Lutherans believe in the, in the real presence, and so do we, and the, the rest is just explanations. And so, you know, that, that the explanations of theologians of how Christ is present. He dismissed all of Catholic doctrine concerning transubstantiation as merely the explanation of theologians. And with the idea that why should we be fighting over explanations? I mean, there you have it. It's in black and white. I don't know if we commented that in the last show or not, but uh, it, it was it was a terrible offense against the Council of Trent. But again, we are talking in Catholic doctrine. They are modernists. They don't give a hoot about Catholic doctrine. It's just a vehicle of the present expression of of the Christian experience. That's all it is, and it is easily dispensed with and changed as as need be. That's what you have to understand about them. So, uh, they they and it's just more of a sign of their abandonment of the Catholic faith. And the sooner people realize that, the better. Don't try to make the Novus Ordo into the Catholic faith. It isn't there. It's gone. We're going to move to our next item in this segment, uh, which has called the Lutheran Anniversary Frolics. And that is uh, in, in Sweden, which is not far from Finland. Father Cicada, did you, did you see that Bergoglio plans to visit uh, Sweden for a joint ecumenical commemoration of the start of the so-called Reformation on October the 31st this year? I thought to myself, 
what would Bish Sanborn do on the uh, anniversary? Uh, the Reformation, and I thought, well, if he's got a fair copy or two in the hell section, he might make a few works of Luther and burn them in the middle of the uh, the courtyard at the seminary for the seminarians. That might be an appropriate commemoration of the Protestant revolt. Uh, I don't know if that's what His Excellency has planned, but he certainly doesn't have a, a trip to Sweden planned. No, well, no I, I, I noticed. I noticed that Bergoglio is going there on October thirty-first, which of course is Halloween, and uh, <laughs> I think is is appropriate enough, uh, an appropriate enough time to visit, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe he'll wear a Frankenstein outfit in honor of Frankenchurch, which would uh, well. Be the thing is that well, Ratzinger invented the idea, so he would maybe he would come out of his retirement and and go up as Doctor von Frankenchurch to the uh, to the event. So uh, I have to make but, a movie uh, out of that one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't get me started. So it, it, the uh, we laugh about it, but it is is so appalling that um, uh, someone who pretends to be the Pope would go and do something like this. Uh, the, uh, the reason he's, he's uh, going to uh, f- uh, uh, Sweden, I think, is that there, um, uh, they, the S- Swedish state church, the Swedish Lutheran church, retains some of the uh, externals of uh, uh, Catholic practice, so that makes it... Uh, you know, good for photo opportunities, and uh, they, uh, in connection with that, they have uh, they have female bishops, and of course, this would get Bergoglio lots of points for the women church crowd to have him standing around at this this um, celebration with some of these Swedish lady bishops and mitres. So, from mm-hmm. a, a the, the low church, your low church. Uh, lower church Lutherans like the Americans, uh, etc., and, and the Germans don't go in for this stuff. So from a symbolic point of view, he's going to get not only ecumenism points for this, but he's going to get feminism points uh, because of these, these lady bishops and mitres that he's going to see. So there's a whole bunch of, I, I think, symbolic reasons for uh, doing this. And then obviously, you know, leading a common worship uh, uh, service with these people uh, is uh, going to get him a lot of points too, and is going to be a great ecumenical um, photo op uh, for him in terms of pushing the uh, the Vatican II program forward. So, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything more absurd than to see a woman in a mitre. I think that that is just the most absurd thing. I noticed women priests when I visited England uh, over the past few years, women priests in the uh, York Cathedral and Durham Cathedral and all, and, uh, you know, walking around in cassocks and and actually putting vestments on and and conducting their service as if saying mass of of a sort. And I thought, this is the most absurd thing I've ever seen in my whole life. But then I never actually saw one up close, but to see a picture of these people in vestments and, and mitre, it is is just rattles your brain as far as absurdity goes I mean, it, to me anyway. Uh, it's just to laugh when you see it. It's just like a costume. But in any case, yeah, maybe it was the only way you could get them to cover their heads in church. <laughs> 
<laughs> that might have very, been. Very, very sly, very sneaky. I, I like it. Yeah, that's right. It's It was, uh, you know, that old sexist St. Paul. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, our our next segment is uh, falls under the uh, we're not in frolics we're in follies uh, other ecumenical follies. Father, again, we've got quite a few stories under here. Was there one in particular that really stood at you that you want to share with our listeners? Well, uh, I mean, the premier uh, ecumenical folly, obviously, was was the film which we've uh, uh, which we talked about uh, talked about earlier. Uh, but we have, you know, the typical uh, Bergoglio laundry list of we're hearing that you know the lack of unity is a scandal among Christians, that Christians and Muslims are brothers and sisters. Then. Um, the uh, different kosher ju- uh, delicacies, as I call them, where his his uh, talking about Jewish Christian uh, relations. But then the uh, the one that I really got a kick out of was the last one on the list. The, the other ones are fairly fairly standard. But that a, in a Protestant uh, college in uh, the United States, there was a, a black woman who was um, a, a uh, professor at this Protestant college, and she actually was disciplined by uh, the conservative Protestant college for saying that Muslims and Christians worship the same God. <laughs> yes. So, so I mean, <laughs> at least someone is maintaining traditional doctrine. <laughs> right. Uh, that was very, very interesting, uh, that there is some sense of orthodoxy left among somebody. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, right uh, thinking it, regarding religion. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and, and that it would have been something that was uh, so absolutely uh, obvious for a, a Catholic when I was growing up that you could not uh, say something like that. You simply mm-hmm. could not say something like that. But it, it, it shows you how far... Uh, the uh, the drift is gone. That uh, she gets into trouble for uh, and discipline for saying something that Bergoglio has said. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's it's uh, outrageous. But it also brought up something else um, uh, for me that the there were. There were and probably still are so many defections from people from the Novus Ordo Church. There's been a continuous stream that I remember uh, since uh, the 60s of people who threw in the towel as as being Catholics uh, because there were no longer any uh, objective truths. There's no standard for truth. Uh, everything they would hear, everything denied by their parish priest from the pulpit. So uh, people would uh, quit the Catholic faith and go and join some sort of evangelical church, and uh, you'd run into these people, and I've run into many over the the course of the years who said that, well, they really believe in something. You know, they believe in the truth in the Bible and certain things about uh, uh, Christ, and I wasn't getting that anymore. Mm-hmm. So heard that many times. Uh, yeah, it's a um, you know we hear that as priests. Lay people don't necessarily hear that. 
that, uh, well, you know, I, I quit the Catholic Church because uh, of all these, these different changes, and, and if I go over to this, this particular uh, Protestant church, they actually believe in something. Or if I, I join this, say, schismatic uh, Orthodox sect, they still mm-hmm. believe in something. Yes, that was pretty common, too, to go to the Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox uh, because they believe in something, and they have uh, liturgies that are, you know, uh, the, the, where they believe in God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's always a nice little perk, you know, yeah, yeah. a little extra. They actually believe in God. Well, uh, that most of their liturgy, liturgical things are borrowed from the Catholic Church or stolen from the Catholic Church. I mean, I'm sure they sure. added a few things, but the bulk of it is, is Catholic. So the uh, other thing that this reminds me of is, is of course, Pentecostalism. And I uh, perhaps I mentioned it before, even on this show, that uh, fellows who uh, were uh, in the seminary with me during uh, Vatican II, who had uh, you know inclinations toward uh, private devotions, who were sodality members, etc. But I knew a number of ones who were very devout in in uh, that respect, and even a couple of priests who ended up as Pentecostals, or as so-called Catholic Pentecostals, because they uh, found in that uh, uh, some sort of a substitute spirit of devotion that was completely um, abandoned uh, by the Novus Ordo, the Vatican II changes. It's very interesting that looking for a substitute for something that the Church had, but after Vatican II, because of the general apostasy, just simply abandoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, our next segment is a recurring segment that we have on almost every Francis watch, and that's the Bergy the Crank uh, segment. <laughs> In, uh, we, our news is supplied by Rorate Chile, which took an opportunity to point out uh, via Antonio Sochi that Bolio never kneels, and he even observed that uh, as he opened the holy doors, uh, he he stood and all faithful knelt behind him. And they they made a note that Francis does kneel occasionally, uh, in particular on a visit to the Anglican uh, so-called martyrs of Uganda. Uh, what do you make of the, the kneeling, non-kneeling, uh, Your Excellency and Father? I think he's an apostate. <laughs> I don't think he believes in in um, in transubstantiation. There's nothing to kneel to for them. And uh, yeah, the man doesn't have the Catholic faith. I mean, the sooner that we establish that, the better. Again, you know, you come up with this this gap if you try to think of him as a Roman Catholic. And then you, you know, you're very troubled. And well, how could this be? And what, what? He doesn't have the Catholic faith. He doesn't believe a single stitch of it. He's a humanitarian believer. I mean, he, it's animals and and climate and and peace in the world and and you know poverty and and all that stuff and and washing women's <laughs> women's feet. And, you know, that's his religion. And the only and and he would kneel in the Anglican Church because it's his religion to dissolve all of the things that divide religion. So if if it contributes to that, if it contributes to watering down the Catholic religion and in some way denying it as as the true faith, well then he'll do it. He'll go down, look at his split on his knees uh, in order to 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 accomplish that. But 
you know, these people have a, a whole different idea of, of Christianity and whatnot from what we have. So, again, the, the, the comparison just falls. I mean, it doesn't, there's not even a comparison. Well, one of the other things that uh, I'd uh, like to mention under the Bergy the Crank headline is that uh, he, uh, there's, there's a link we sent to this prayer that he, he actually used a prayer written by Bishop Untener. Now, uh, let me just give you a couple of lines in, in uh, the prayer that uh, Berge used. Uh, here it is. Every now and then it helps us to take a step back and to see things from a distance. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is also beyond our visions. Dot, 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 dot. No prayer expresses the faith completely. No creed uh, brings perfection. No program fully accomplishes the mission of the church. We plant seeds that one day will grow. We lay foundations of something that will develop. We add the yeast which will multiply our possibilities. We cannot do everything, yet it is uh, liberating to begin. Uh, so, in any event, the, the, the source of all this, this uh, vague vaporings in, in this prayer is an interesting source. It's a, a, a Bishop Kenneth, Kenneth Untner, who was the Bishop of Saginaw, Michigan, and was one of the absolute worst modernists and liberals in the Novus Ordo Institution. And he, he had a reputation for being, you know, left of the left, uh, and completely far gone. It is very significant, I think, that Bergoglio used the prayer by this crazy man, because it, it, it shows, to me at least, that Bergoglio is in the same mentality, in uh, the same category, as the uh, left of the left, uh, uh, post-Vatican II bishops. This is the guy, by the way, uh, Untener, who uh, showed sex films to the seminarians when he was the uh, rector of St. John's Seminary in Plymouth, Michigan. Mm -hmm. So that, it shows you how far gone the guy was. He was the one that said, always call me Ken. I remember yes, that. I right. used to say Mass in Bay City, which was his diocese. And uh, the, the, everyone called him Ken because he wanted to be known as Ken. So, of course, we obliged him. And Ken, which was pretty shocking for that time. That was back in the 1980s. Yes. Uh, it, was kind of, it was shocking. And, um, uh, yeah, he, he was the liberal's liberal. But they're, they're cut from the same cloth, Bergoglio. I mean, these sure. are the radical Vatican tourists. Uh, we saw them in the seminary. And they have just blossomed into what you see now, and and again, you know, you'll feel better. Everyone will feel better if they just resign themselves to the fact that these people are not Roman Catholics. You know, if you see them as Roman Catholics, you're going to have, as the Italians say, agita. You're going to have, you know, stomach upsetment and worry and ulcers. But these people are are not Roman Catholics. They gave it up a long time ago, and the only what they are trying to do is steal the Catholic structure and put in a new contents in it. 
That, that's, that, and so people look at the Catholic structure. Oh, well, you know, everything's the same. The chancery office is there, and, and you know, there's somebody in the chancery office, and, and there's somebody in the Episcopal throne, well, whatever they call it now. Uh, and uh, it, that's all they see. They don't see the, the, the invisible elements of the Catholic Church that make all of those things right and true and good that justify all of that structure. The structure exists for the invisible aspects of the Catholic Church, and primary among those is the true faith, because everything else depends on the true faith, true dogma. And, and these people have no belief in it whatsoever, but they do in their pride, instead of having at least the forthrightness of a Martin Luther to go found his own church. These people, these modernists, in their pride, have decided to hijack the the Catholic Church in a sense, and to to use it or attempt to use it, I would say, uh, for their own purposes. And and most people have just gone along with it, you know, just a hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, the uh, you uh, make an uh, excellent point that I can speak to, we both can speak to, I suppose, from personal experience, that it is once you realize that these people are not Catholics, that they do not represent the uh, Catholic Church, then you don't get the agita. In other words, it is it is something that that is is somewhat remote from you. You know, your your stomach is no longer upset by the by a good uh, uh, helping of of the school of Bologna. That, <laughs> I, I I couldn't resist it, but it, you know, it's it's it, it's absolutely you always true. Want, you always want meat on a Friday. You know, that's how it is. Right? Yeah, that's right. Well, it's meat on a Friday. I'm I'm thinking of that. I'm thinking of that. But. Um, the uh, it, it's, uh, you, there's this distance that um, uh, you know that Paul the Sixth. I mean, I uh, I uh, would ring I wring my hands for ten years about Paul the Sixth. That oh, you know, our beloved Holy Father. How could, this is going on? If if he only knew, if the Fuhrer only knew. I mean, there's, he's a prisoner of his entourage. He's being yes. uh, deceived and everything. And and mm. you're wringing your hands. Why doesn't he do something? You know, uh, and he's being prevented by the uh, uh, wicked American bishops. He's the well, he's weak. Uh, he's, he's weak. Don't forget that. He's weak. That's right. Yes, and he 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 needs to be needs to be strong. He's he's you know a Hamlet. He's going back and forth. But then when you realize that the guy is a monster, that he's a modernist, right? And and you say that he's a monster. He's a modernist. He does not have the Catholic faith. He's trying to destroy it. It's in effect he professes a different religion uh, uh, from me. Uh, so I'm not going to get upset that he is he is my pope uh, and that he's doing all these different things. How can I, I uh, reconcile it? You might as well get upset about the Church of England. Mm-hmm. Or you might as well get upset about, uh, you know, the, the uh, Wisconsin Lutheran Synod or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the uh, uh, Presbyterians. Because this guy has lost... Uh, the Catholic faith, and once you understand that, you perceive that, uh, then uh, you do get a uh, you do get a, uh, a piece of soul, and things fall into perspective as to with, with regard to the essential thing, which is the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Well, uh, we've still got a few things I'd like to ask you about, your asking your father. I want to um, remind our listeners who uh, are listening to their first uh, episode of Season 5, the format's the same. You can purchase an episode, and we know there are people who uh, download, uh, just watch the minute it hits their inbox. Uh, for, for you, this year, we've created something called the Jorge Membership. And the Jorge Membership not only allows you to get all the episodes of Francis Watch this season, but you will also get a hand-picked additional episode from seasons three through five. So uh, two episodes, the price of one, uh, come all, come, come all during the year of mercy to get a Jorge membership. Um, well, the question is, when do we get the year of baloney? <laughs> We've had that for nearly 50 years, I think. <laughs> Uh, the second announcement I want to make, Novus Ordo Watch, uh, as we know, helped uh, sponsor the first season of Francis Watch, has been uh, a big uh, supporter of our network, has gone above and beyond in season five, and has sponsored an entire season. So all of season two has now been unlocked and available to the public. This is over 70, 80 episodes of content. In addition, season one was unlocked by an anonymous benefactor in honor of St. Teresa and St. Miss Aquinas. And that season one featured Father Chicada talking about the then uh, mooted agreement of the SSPX. I want to talk about a few highlights of season two, which are now available for free, courtesy of uh, Novus Ordo Watch. We have uh, Devotion Bishop Dolan was in its first season, and we're very happy that that will be returning this season. Uh, some uh, episodes, as, as you know, Father Chicada, Bishop Dolan is not one to hold back when he, he wants to speak his mind. And a couple of those same episodes were the Malachi Martin episode. We got a lot of pushback from people about that, as well as St. Joseph the Worker, which I attempted uh, Bishop Dolan during that episode by, by asking whether it was also known as St. Joseph the Communist, uh, that new feat. <laughs> Season two also contained uh, the nine thirty Years On, which was the first ever radio interview of Bishop Dolan, Bishop Thorne, and Father Chicada reflecting on 30 years since uh, 1983. Uh, we also had um, our first, the, the uh, Francis Watch in the Womb, Your Excellency and Father, was uh, held within clerical conversations at that time. And would you believe it was in C2 back in 2013, so long ago now, that we did the episode at the seminary after Bergoglio was elected. And we oh, also yes, did the, the, the first hundred days. I mean, it's been so long ago, so much nonsense since that time. Uh, here we are in season five, um, non-Hubbamus Papa, and we had all of those episodes. So binge, listen to your heart's content for Lent. <laughs> season two is available for free. Forward on to your Novus Ordo friends. Forward it on to people who are open-minded and who will listen, and they'll get to hear uh, his XP and Father Chikata in those early uh, episodes before we do something known as Francis Witch. Uh, your Excellency, you know I always ask you going on to the seminary. In this, uh, it's going to be Lent uh, at lightning speed here. I didn't even get to into the time after Epiphany. Uh, we're heading right into the to Adesma. Uh, what's going on at the seminary? Other than the well, we just had Bishop Dolan for uh, the retreat, so that's what's going on. Of course, they don't talk, so I don't know too much about <laughs> what went on. 
but uh, you know, and uh, so we're you know we're getting our second trimester. It'll last until uh, Holy Week, uh, and um, so they're continuing their studies. Uh, again, that's a, you know, they're doing the dishes. <laughs> that's what happens at the seminary. They're mowing the lawns on Saturday. Uh, they're singing chant. They're uh, doing their ceremonies. Um, yeah, they're, they're learning their Latin. Uh, that's the seminary. I mean, there's, there's no there's no event at the seminary. <laughs> uh, I, I hate to disappoint you. you know, it's just the, but that that's what seminaries are for. <laughs> Uh, as far as St. Gertrude the Great, and actually there's a fair amount uh, that's uh, uh, that's going on here. Let's see, in terms of, um, uh, you know, the usual liturgical solemnities, and uh, we had a, a big celebration on the Epiphany and then a parish party. Uh, excuse me, coming in, in uh, next week is the Feast of um, uh, is Candlemas, and we're having another uh, Mass and another parish party. We're big on parish parties here at St. Gertrude the Great. Um, and um, what I've been doing in the way of um, uh, different media-type projects, I put already on the Internet uh, a recording of uh, uh, and video of our, our parish um, choir doing some uh, uh, liturgical music from the Feast of the Epiphany. I'm also going to do that for the Feast of uh, the Holy Family. I have a recording of that. As far as other media projects go, well, the um, uh, two flacks uh, for the Society of St. Pius X, uh, John Salsa and uh, what's his name, Robert Sisko, uh, put out a, a book uh, attacking St. of Acontism, 700 pages. I like refer to them as the SS father. Uh, this is the SS and uh, the uh, also Can I, I noticed I interrupt you for a second? Did you ever yes. get that book? No, and I have to tell the story. Um, okay. I, uh, you know, uh, tried to order this. They they had pre-orders that they put up uh, on the uh, 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 on their site where you could pre-order the book in November. And so as soon as I saw that, you know, I uh, tried to order it right away, and uh, I was actually not successful getting it through their website. Uh, the uh, and I even wrote them an email about it, saying that while it recognized my credit card, it resisted taking my order. <laughs> <laughs> but I never got a copy of uh, the book from them, even though I pre-ordered. Our school principal also tried to pre-order, and it still hasn't uh, still hasn't arrived. Uh, fortunately, one of the other priests here uh, eventually got a copy of it, so at least I can take a look at it. But, um, but I think the, you are mentioned. I don't know how I th you become. I think in that book you're the black beast, aren't you, of, of state of acanthism? Oh at the very least. At the very least. <laughs> so uh, the um, so it's going to be an interesting year, and it's. Uh, they're flacks for the Pius X Society. That's what it is. It's the Pius X Society has, uh, in effect, bankrolled the book. It's it's STAS pu uh, Publications, which is St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary, uh, which is also close to the uh, German police force, the Stasi, which sort of they import they. <laughs> 
<laughs> they enforce the borders uh, of the uh, German People's Republic. So uh, I guess the, the, the Stasi are enforcing the society's borders against sadivacantism. But in any event, I've uh, already made two films or two videos about this book. Um, uh, one is about uh, is why traditionalists are afraid of sadivacantism. And the second one is the Pope Speaks, You Decide. Uh, these are uh, available on the WHH, the Work of Human Hands uh, website uh, on YouTube, and you can um, you can view them there. Also, as we speak, I'm uh, also at work on uh, another film, another video about some of the issues raised in the book. So it's going to be a real interesting year, from I think the the the, the media point of view. But there's a lot to talk, uh, an awful lot to talk about about the Pope question and about the uh, aggressive attitude that the Society of St. Pius X through these people is, is taking towards sativacantism. So it will not go unnoticed. <laughs> my, my favorite sound effect, uh, Father, from the, the Pope speaks, you just get the gavel banging down uh, on, <laughs> on each of those. <laughs> that was an excellent sound effect. If it could make an appearance in a future uh, video, I would, I would love that. Well, um, uh, you know, by, by, by popular demand. I mean, Bergoglio says, uh, you know, uh, who am I to judge? Well, the Society of St. Pius X responds to, well, we're the ones to judge. And who <laughs> so better the, than two lawyers to prosecute the case, I suppose. Right? Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, They're always accusing Ed us of private judgment, and yet they do it constantly. The Vatican says something, and they decide whether they're going to take it or not. And in 99% of the cases, they don't. No, yeah. No. So, well, uh, in uh, any event, <laughs> your Excellency and Father, it's it's season five, but I end uh, Francis Watch episodes of host pretty much the way I, I've always ended them, which is by asking you to to you know speak directly to our listeners who come from a very wide spectrum. Restoration Radio is certainly not all set of a contest tell those people who are still here in season five holding on to their understanding of uh, the Novus Ordo sect? Well, they, as, as I said earlier, that uh, doctrinally it, there is no continuity. Uh, liturgically, there's no continuity. Uh, and in, in regard to essential disciplines, there's no continuity. Uh, and continuity is the whole thing. You have to look at that. There has to be, the Catholic Church must have doctrinal, liturgical, and disciplinary unity and continuity as a single unit from the time of its birth to the time of its death, in the sense of its consummation when at the Second Coming. So that has to be the same. If it loses that, it loses all of its credibility. It just blows up if it loses continuity. So they, they have to constantly look at that problem. Is, is this post-Vatican II religion the same as pre-Vatican II? They have to make that comparison. They have to look at all things, not merely liturgical things. And they cannot hide in a, an ostrich hole of, well, you know, I have Latin, I have, I have trappings of the old church in this little, little niche I have. That, that is not being Catholic. That is a certain aspect of Catholicism, but it's not being Catholic. 
the, the principal aspect of Catholicism is doctrine. If the doctrine is not continuous, it is phony, baloney. Right? We'll get back to that theme. And the whole thing is phony baloney, and, and they have to, to depart from it. So, you know, to, to make a little Catholic world for yourself is, is not sufficient. And I saw recently on a website, one of those conservative websites, that the indult or the motu mass is not growing, and that it will probably shrink in, in a, a relatively short period of time. That, and I would ass- assign that to the fact that it is, it, it is a fish out of water. It's something that doesn't belong in the Novus Ordo. When, when you're putting animals up on the, the screen of, or the facade of St. Peter's, I mean, how does the traditional Latin mass fit into that religion? You know, it, it's just like, what is, what is this some sort of... Uh, I, I would compare it to putting up Fra Angelico in the, Metro, in the Museum of Modern Art in New York, it, where you come through all of this garbage uh, art, just garbage, one after the other, garbage incomprehensible what they call art and then you come to a magnificent frangelico and you would say what is this doing here <laughs> both the people who love the abstract art would say why, why do you have that here this belongs in the other museum and then the people anybody that loves frangelico would say why why do you have frangelico here I mean, to, to put that traditional latin mass in the context of the novus ordo is something that will really never last so that's mm-hmm. that's my message to them. And my message would be not only obviously to second that, but simply to say that folks, we all went through figuring this stuff out at at at, at some point um, uh, or another, and all had the uh, uh, the feelings that you have about uh, the uh, the idea that uh, you know one is is taking a, a step somehow that's very difficult, but. Uh, uh, believe me, if you operate in terms of uh, the intellect, in terms of what you know to be the truths of the Catholic faith, uh, you will be at peace by having nothing to do with the heretics. Well, I think those are messages of true mercy in the alleged year of mercy, and uh, we thank your Excellency and Father for your time, and thanks for giving uh, us some part of your busy schedule. We'll let you get back to it, and we look forward to uh, next on Francis Watch. Thank you very much. Thank you, and God bless you all. Of course, uh, I said that to His Excellency and Father as if one could look forward to going through all of this nonsense, but that's the thing that they do as a work of mercy for all of you. If you have uh, things that you want to cover, like that you want to share with His Excellency or Father, you can write to Francis Watch at truerestoration.org. All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful, and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even simply an Ave for work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.